Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Remember a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about when it is appropriate for a man to cry? Well, we are revisiting that subject because USC quarterback Caleb Williams has given us reason to do so. We're going to be talking that and so much more. You already know Outkick the Morning starts right now. Hello, everybody. Good morning. It is Monday. How quickly the weekend flies. We had the time change. And as a result, I decided to dye my hair, right? It's dark outside. My hair's dark. It all makes sense. Anyways, welcome to another edition of Outkick the Morning. I, of course, am Charlie Arnold. So excited for all of you to be here with me this morning. Now, let's get into the conversation. I already mentioned it off the top. When and where is it acceptable for a man to cry? Because from what I understood, grown men, at least real men, had some pride and dignity, right? Uh, so tell me why USC quarterback and Heisman winner Caleb Williams felt compelled to run to his mommy in the stands and ball his eyes out, literally ball his eyes out, following the team's 52-42 loss to Washington. Listen, if he was notified straight after the game that, I don't know, maybe an ultra-close family member or even the family dog died, fine. I even said before, a few weeks ago, those were acceptable situations for a person to cry. I don't care who you are. Those are horribly tragic situations. So maybe I would excuse it if that was the case. But the result of a loss that he was partially responsible for, no freaking way. Go online to see the video because this wasn't just a quick one and done second that he decided to make a pansy of himself. This lasted for at least a full minute. Uh, the cameras were right on him, showing him literally leaping up into the stands, being coddled by his mommy, embraced, and then at one point she even brought around a sign or some sort of placard to shield his face from the cameras because he was literally losing his mind crying. And then it gets even better because then RG3 had the audacity to tweet out this, saying, quote, watching Caleb Williams sobbing with his family after losing the game will break your heart. This young man pours his heart out for his team every time he plays. Any NFL team would be lucky to have him as their quarterback, and this emotion shows how much this game means to him. And I gotta say, I totally disagree with this. An NFL team needs a leader, someone who will go straight to the locker room with the team after the game, accepting that the team's, it was their own fault that they lost, and vowing to never let it happen again. That is what should happen on the part of quarterback Caleb Williams, not running to his mommy, bawling his eyes out, and creating a spectacle for the cameras. Oh, and then after the game, in the post-game presser, Williams said that he wanted to just go home and cuddle with his dogs and watch some shows. Uh, what's with men these days? How is this deemed acceptable in their minds? And then propped up by other so-called masculine men afterwards. That would be RG3 that I'm referring to. Maybe not so masculine. Uh, not to mention, Caleb Williams is also known for painting his nails. His excuse? His mother is a nail technician. Uh, okay, let me just say, I'm totally all for a man who takes care of himself. Go get yourself a manicure. 
if you've got cuticles, if you've got hangnails, please get those taken care of. But painting your nails, I don't care who it is. I don't care for what reason you're doing it. It is suspect. And I will never change my mind about that. Caleb Williams, to sum it up, he's soft. He's a crybaby. And I implore any NFL scouts to keep this pathetic scene in mind when concocting their idea of what a leader on an NFL team looks like. Okay. Now, let's get a little bit more perspective on it, shall we? Let's bring in another man, my friend Dave Ross, one of the hosts over at VEASAN. He does lots of things, including stay up all night yes. to be on the show. I already checked out your Instagram, Dave, uh, or Twitter, rather, and uh, saw that you already had steak and eggs, or I don't know what it was yeah. exactly. I can't remember. But you've been up all night getting ready. You're fueled. You're fired up. Give me your take on Caleb Williams sobbing in his mommy's arms after the game. So for you, with the you know me being out in the West Coast, you being on the East Coast, I was like, let's just have steak and eggs, 2 a.m. my time. I'll be ready to roll for Charlie at 5 a.m. local time here uh, in Las Vegas. And yeah, you know, the whole thing about Caleb Williams that really strikes me is odd. Okay, I want to give him a pass for the crying. If you're emotional, I can accept that. The problem is, is that last year, Max Duggan for TCU was caught crying on the sidelines after TCU got blown out by Georgia. And RG3 did a similar tweet. Look at Max, do you know how much it matters to him? Blah, blah, blah. And then Caleb Williams tweeted at Robert Griffin III, three letters, LOL, lol. He laughed at Max crying on the sidelines. So now when people come at you, Caleb Williams, like they're going to do for you crying on the sidelines after losing to Washington, wasn't even the national championship, like Max and TCU, don't get offended. Do not be offended when you laughed at a quarterback in the same position just a year ago. So that's what really strikes me as odd. Look, Caleb Williams is going to be the number one pick in the draft. There's no doubt about it in my mind. He's too talented. But to your point, Charlie, when you're a GM and you're a head coach and you do your due diligence, that's going to be a question that you're going to ask Caleb. Hey, Caleb, what was going on there at the end of the Washington game? Why were you moved to tears in such a manner that we all saw it on national TV? Hey, if it happens at your locker, you know, maybe there's no cameras around. That's another thing. This does happen in locker rooms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. For everybody to see, it's now out there. That's, that's what got me because, okay, for one, and I'm putting, trying to put myself in the position. I just don't know that it, a loss. I mean, maybe there was something else going on in his life, right? We'll right. give him that. Maybe there was something going on beneath the surface and you just couple the loss along with something other that's uh, really traumatic happening. So you just lose it. Okay, fine. But yeah, just to, to create this spectacle where you literally hop up over the barricade, into your mother's arms. It just, to me, felt very weird and almost like you were trying to show off uh, in some way. I don't know. It just, I don't know. I didn't like oh. it. I, I, I don't think that it was a respectable scene. And for me, as the quarterback, I think what needed to happen, and, and you probably heard me say it, those are the moments mm -hmm. when you're maybe emotional, but that's when you're with your team, right? In the very right. closing seconds of the game, right afterwards, you huddle up with your team, you run back to the locker room, and you're like, guys, whatever just happened out there does not happen again on my watch. Like, that is... Absolutely. You let it all out. You, you know, let it all point out. Point blank, period. But I will tell you this. 
if Caleb Williams is crying now, wait till he's the number one pick next year on a bad team, whether it's Arizona or Chicago, who's got the number <laughs> one pick if Carolina gets out. You're going to be crying a lot next year. And by the way, NFL players remember this stuff, like the painting of the nails. Like when you put yourself out there like that, and you've got 300-pound defensive linemen and linebackers coming at you, they're going to say stuff to you at the bottom of the pile next year. They're going to remember this stuff. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that's a fact of the matter. And they're going to go cry now for me, quarterback, number one pick overall with, with your big signing bonus. He's going to hear it from those guys too. So, look, you want to put yourself out there? You want to paint your nails? F Utah, which is what he did last year on his nails. People remember that stuff. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong, yeah. but the fact of the matter is pro athletes remember. There's some weird phenomenon going on where men are painting their nails now. I, I, I see it. I won't call it frequently, but I see it often enough where I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just stop, please. Leave, leave, it, leave it to the women. You don't need to be painting your nails. Like, I don't care if it's a fashion statement. It's, it's stupid and you look stupid. So um, moving on, Dave, uh, I got to get... Yeah, please. If you were paid, if your nails were painted, I would have to kick you off immediately. Uh, uh, no, no one belongs no. on the show unless you're a woman with painted yeah, nails. Yeah. No, no. Uh, your good. reaction, Dave, to statement Saturday: Bama, Georgia, yeah. or Washington? Who, in your opinion, made the biggest statement over the weekend? Roll Tide, Charlie. Here's the deal: like you look at Washington <laughs> right now, and I think if they play Oregon again in the Pac-12 title game, Oregon's going to be favored. I don't. I'm still not sure how Oregon gave that game away. Uh, Dan Landing and company up there against Washington. They just feel a little bit suspect. They get the nice win against USC there, the 10-point win that we just talked about. But I really think it's Roll Tide that made the statement with that big win over LSU. And really, they don't have to worry about anybody else. I know they have the early loss to Texas. But right now, as it stands, Nick Saban knows this, if they run the table and they beat Georgia in the SEC title game, they're going to the college mm -hmm. football playoff. Don't give me all one loss and debate one loss Washington or – it will be Alabama. They are not keeping the SEC champion out. So at this stage of time, I look at Alabama and go, they have as good a shot as winning the national championship as anybody else. And they have no margin for error. They can't lose the second game before you get to that SEC title game. But there's actually a better chance that if Alabama beats Georgia, and I know they're the reigning defending two-time national champion, that Georgia could be on the outside looking in if it's one loss Alabama and one loss Georgia. I think Alabama certainly goes. SEC title winner is going. Michigan, with all their issues right now off the field, I don't know that the yeah. NCAA is going to do something crazy like forbid them from being able to play in the college football playoff. Jim Harbaugh's prying uncle to the Big Ten saying, hey, let's do some due diligence. Go easy on us here at Michigan. Let's see how this plays out. I think Alabama made the best statement that says, if we win the rest of our games, we don't have to worry about any help. We can do it all by ourselves, and we'll be in the college football playoff yet again. How do you think it's going to play out with Michigan? You know, I'm a Harbaugh guy. You know this, Charlie, from our days in Washington, D.C. used to have Harbs on our old radio show there in D.C. He, he does, look, call me naive if you want. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to blatantly cheat. Look, it looks like right. they cheated. And that's what, that's what, I, that's what I hear from everybody that I've spoken to. They're like, he just doesn't seem like that type of guy, which – do you think, so let me cut you off real quick. Do you think someone went rogue? Yeah. Uh, I think if it happened kind of like Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, if it happened without his knowledge, then it went on without his knowledge and he didn't want to know. Now, it looks like he is on the sidelines. Sometimes they're saying he's signaling plays to Harbaugh. So that would be interesting if that is in fact fact. The bottom line is Ohio State cheats. They don't want to hear that. Other schools in the Big Ten cheat. 
all across the country. We know Pete Carroll back in his SC days, how he was going about recruiting. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying at this level of college football. Now, does it go above and beyond the pale? That's going to be for the NCAA to decide. But I think a lot of teams were quiet in the last couple of weeks about it because they don't want their own skeletons in their own closets revealed. So I think Harbaugh mm-hmm. got caught. Other teams do it. Harbaugh and Michigan, maybe they did it a little bit better. And that's what's really bothering the other guys now. Yeah, that's a good point, right? Like, just don't don't make a stir. You don't want anyone then to looking into what you've been up right. to, whether currently or in the past. That's that's a good point. And something and Charlie, a lot of people should keep in mind, not just as. Right. Think of this. In baseball, they have been stealing signs since the beginning of time. I mean, they've been doing this since the 1900s, sign stealing. So I look at baseball. They must be laughing at all this stuff of people stealing signs. Of the I mean, that's. That's as that's ingrained in Major League Baseball, cheating, right? We saw it with the Astros to the ump degree. So if we really want to start to go, all right, we're going to call Michigan down to the carpet for this. We're going to have to call a lot of other people down to the carpet for it. So I don't know if they really want to open up that Pandora's box. Um, but we love that, you know, we saw what happened in baseball. The one team that didn't host the Pride Night this season won the World <laughs> Series. Something to be said there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Okay, let's now talk about uh, maybe a bit of a sensitive subject for you, Dave. Uh Your Cowboys. Uh, They came up a few yards short in Philadelphia. Dak Prescott, he played well. Uh, But Jalen Hurts shook off that knee injury. They got the win. Eagles now 8-1. and Your reaction to that game? Okay, first of all, I am wearing, hopefully you can see it, this is now November in the NFL. It's a salute to service month, right? So this is my Cowboys salute to service. That's why I'm wearing this for you today, Charlie, in November for the NFL. You saw Big Mike, Mike McCarthy, wearing some camouflage. A lot of coaches will be wearing camo this month, which I think is actually pretty cool that the NFL does that. Now, as far as the game itself, look, it's not just my team. It's not your team. It's America's team. So when the Cowboys lose, America loses. And we saw a little bit of that yesterday. Oh, yeah. I mean, is that how it goes? <laughs> That's how it works, Charlie. And so now you had Dak Prescott somehow stepping on the white line to negate a two-point conversion or would have cut at the three. We had a tight end that's going to score his first career touchdown and somehow they review it and say his knees down before the ball crosses by an inch, took away six points there. We had some very questionable calls go against the Cowboys. That all being said, they figured out a way to let the Eagles off the hook. And good teams and the Eagles are very good. Are they great, Charlie? They are there. They are right for the picking off the tree. And the Cowboys let them off the hook yesterday. Like, God rest his soul, Denny Green. You want to clown them? Then clown their asses. But we're not scared of them. Eagles aren't going to run away and hide. Cowboys will be right there with the Eagles when it's all said and done. I, I love the, um, the passion. I yeah. love the faith. And uh, you got to have that. And I also love the, uh, like, the way you spelled it out. Like, it's not just a loss for you or me. It's a loss for America. Because I would have to imagine a lot of America does not feel that way. But we're going to let you keep that. We're going to let you keep that belief. It's Monday. I don't want your week to go on a sudden downward spiral, even though, I mean, I guess it already started because last night the Cowboys lost. But, you know, whatever. We want you to... To be able to, to, to rest peacefully the rest of the day since you've been up all night. Yeah, let us remain America's team at least for another week. I need that. There we go. There we go. Uh, Okay, let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg 
and mm. uh, his training regimen. This is something we actually discussed a few weeks ago on the show. Uh, he has a bit of an outlandish routine that he's been showing off. He was on the barge, you know, grappling, doing his jujitsu yeah. moves, and it looks like it might have backfired because we just found out this weekend uh, that he blew out his ACL. Mm -hmm. So that might, you know, throw a little bit of a wrench in his plans to maybe fight Elon Musk, who actually also this weekend just came out and said he would be willing to fight Mark Zuckerberg. So convenient timing on that injury, by the way. Uh, but the Meta CEO put up a photo on Instagram showing him in a leg brace. He was sitting yeah. on a hospital bed and he captioned it, quote, tore my ACL sparring and just got out of surgery to replace it. Grateful for the doctors and team taking care of me. I was training for a competitive MMA fight early next year, but now that is delayed a bit. I don't yeah, know. What do you chat. think? Do you think Mark Zuckerberg's the real deal? Is he just a, is he just a big poser in this whole MMA thing? Like, I don't know. This this just seems Sorry. a little bit interesting. I, I don't doubt that he didn't have the injury, but I do also know right. that Elon Musk this weekend had said that he would be willing to fight. So just funny well, timing. It's, it's what you said at the end of the quote from Zuck. That was the humble breath, right? Oh, delays my 2024 debut. I was getting ready to get in there and throw down. Yeah. So you got my jits, all my jujitsu I've been working on. That was the humble brag by Zuck. He had to get that in there, right? Like, oh, this is, it's like John Jones tearing his pec. And Devastating. Johnny Jones till, till 2024, right? So I, I give him credit because he's actually doing this. I don't know what, we, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I'm still not sure what this was with Israel Adesanya and company. But he is training with some of the best in the world. My only thing is, I think Elon still looks at it as, as a joke, and Zuck is, like, pissed off. Like, I think Zuck really wants to fight Elon because he thinks he can take him. The joke will be on Zuck if he goes in there with the guy and he puts the walrus move on him like he says he will and lays on the little guy. I mean, we saw that this weekend in the main event with uh, Justin Almeida against Derek Lewis, the Black Beast. You know, you, you saw a big guy against the little guy. And I think that's what Elon Musk wants to do. And he still looks at Zuck as a little guy. So get your knee right. Come on back. If you're for realsies, we'll see you in 2024. Yeah, I also feel like um, if there is a real fight, it's not going to take the, um, the ambiance that it does in his training videos, right? It's not going to look like they're... They're auditioning for an action movie set on, like, Lake Como. I don't know what that was. Right. It was ridiculous. I mean, on the bar, the I don't same. know. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the point of that was, but uh, interesting. Uh, okay, let's talk about some other MMA news that's uh, okay. making some waves right now. Uh, there is some security cam video from Cutler Bay, Florida. You see a knife-wielding lunatic get slammed by former professional mixed martial artist Javier Baez. So Baez, he was returning to his complex late on Halloween night. He ran into this guy. He's a 50-year-old named Omar Marrero. He was holding a 14-inch knife and obviously acting super aggressively in the parking lot. Marrero then attempted to stab Baez. He hit his car window and then tried to attack him with the knife. Baez did manage to get the knife out of his hands. He subdued him until the police arrived. Baez unharmed. The attacker arrested, and now the idiot faces charges of burglary with assault, a battery, and also aggravated battery. I feel wow. like this type of thing happens not, not a lot, but we've heard at least like three incidences where UFC fighters or trained MMA fighters have been ones to subdue criminals. Uh, I don't remember what it was a few months ago, maybe. Uh -huh. 
there was uh, well, some type of attack Vieira. and there was a UFC fighter who just ha- What's that? Well, remember Pollyanna Vieira? She had that happen to her a couple of years ago in Brazil. And she's on the UFC roster. Yes. And she, she had an attacker come at her and she two-pieced the guy up and put him to sleep until the authorities came. Right? So, like, no. Yes, exactly. Rockers, yeah. She's exactly the right, the wrong woman to step to. And this is the wrong man to step to. By the way, what an incredible rock bottom for wrestling fans that he put on the assailant there. I mean, that was textbook Steven Seagal, Aikido right there. Use that person's energy coming at you and then posture up and body slam down with one hand. I mean, that was awesome. But Charlie, the thing in society today that I don't get is that we see this a lot, right? Where people attack somebody else and then they get more hurt in the process. And then people go, oh, well, they really should have gone easy on the assailant. What? I have no sympathy for people that come at a 14 inch knife. How are you going to go easy on someone with a 14 inch knife? I mean, that's just, I, I don't even know what a 14 inch knife looks like, to be honest. That just, that yeah, just sounds you know, uh, mind blowing. I, 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 yeah. And, and to go it's after just, someone with a knife. I mean, I don't know. I just imagine like putting my hand on the knife, completely slitting my whole hand open. And then that would just be it. I'd be like, I'm sorry, never mind. But uh, so to have the, the guts and the balls to go after someone yes. like this says a lot about Javier Baez. And uh, obviously the thief had no idea who he was messing with or who, who he had encountered. So uh, unfortunately for him, wrong place, wrong time, but that's how it goes. Absolutely, Charlie. Thank you. Have a great show. Outkick the Morning will be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, a big thanks to Dave Ross once again. And now we move on to more evidence, as if we needed more evidence, as to why women and men should not be competing against one another. Uh, there was a female field hockey player who took a hardcore shot to the face. And I'm talking hardcore. It was like a straight on, just like whipped to her face. And it was by a male on the opposing team. Not a transgender player. This is just a straight up boy who was playing for the op opposing team. Uh, she had horrific dental and facial injuries. Uh, she had to go to the hospital. I'm sure she's gonna have just mental trauma as a result of this. I can't even imagine getting back onto the field after an injury like this. And a lot of you might be a little confused. Why was there a boy on the opposing team? Field hockey is a girl's boy. This, this was the girl's championship game in Massachusetts. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because in Massachusetts, there's this equal, equal right clause as it pertains to the athletics in high schools. And they allow boys to play if there is not a comparable boys sport uh, that they would be able to join. So no questions asked, he was able to join the team. Uh, and this just brings to us the greater question as to should this be happening in the first place? Uh, the girls on this team say absolutely not. And they put together a letter that one of the team captains headed up and they sent it to the Massachusetts Athletic Association, uh, basically just saying enough is enough. 
She says this incident should be enough to change the association's policy. The inherent danger will not be eliminated by changing equipment, as the association uh, suggested, such as maybe the addition of helmets to prevent injuries, and that the real answer is that the boys should just not be able to play in girls' sports, period. And of course, I totally agree with this, because there's a reason why boys and girls, men and women, have separate divisions in the first place. The letter details incredibly the differences between the two sexes. Of course... You all are sensible enough to know the differences between men and women, boys and girls. I don't need to list them all out for you. Uh, but the team, Captain, does go on to say by trying to create equality, they are creating inequality. And that's what all of us who have been speaking out about this, whether it be about a boy playing a girl's sport or a transgendered athlete playing a girl's sport all along. Uh, and now to weigh in a little bit more on this, let's bring in a woman who I know is also very passionate about the topic, we have Outkick contributor, Mary Catherine Ham. So good morning to you, Mary Catherine. Uh, this is a horrible scene uh, that we witnessed. I can't even imagine how this girl is feeling. I mean, from a physical standpoint, but also an emotional standpoint, uh, a lot to cope with right now. What runs through your mind when you see a horrific injury like this taking place that never should have happened to begin with because it's a girls championship game? Why is there a boy on the field? Well, it's really tragic because why are we putting girls in the way of this harm? I was a female athlete. It can be so empowering and special and wonderful to be out there with your female teammates uh, accomplishing things. But this is a real danger situation. A field hockey ball is no joke. Shooting with it is no joke. And if you put someone out there who has a bunch of testosterone, it's going to look and feel different and be dangerous to other competitors. So that's the first thing. Also, I would like to applaud these young women, uh, Kelsey Bain, for putting her name on this letter. They know they're going to get it, right? They know that the sort of prevailing narrative, even though it's not the majority of people, is going to be really loud and tell them they're bigoted for pointing out that maybe getting hit in the face with a mm -hmm. field hockey ball hit by a dude is not great for them, that they should be protected, that they should be able to enjoy the sport that they have chosen to play and worked really hard to play without this this issue on the field with them with dangers on the field for them when there's like, there's an inherent danger in sports anyway. And you're just sort of upping the ante for these young women. So a huge applause for them because this is a measured letter. It's smart. It acknowledges this is the law of Massachusetts and maybe it shouldn't be. And that is the way to start getting change because if people are too afraid to put their names on things and speak out, it will never change. Yeah, and it's interesting because it does seem like we're having a little bit of a turning of the tides uh, right yeah. here with these team captains and this high school team putting their names on this letter, uh, coming out very forwardly about what they want and what they expect and how silly these policies are. And also, we'll pair that along with the recent letter or, I guess, uh, actions that were taken by the Roanoke College women's swim team. Same thing. They were willing to come forward as a group and say enough is enough. This is something we didn't often see before because when it first started, you had people talking behind the scenes. We don't stand by this, this is horrible. Uh, Riley Gaines is really the first to come out, but what does it tell you that we had the Roanoke College swim team come out and now we have this high school field hockey team that's coming out so forwardly? Do you think this is really an indication of what we're gonna see more and more of? Yeah, I, do, I think courage is contagious. 
and standing up, particularly on college campuses or in these situations where you know the prevailing sort of popular liberal narrative, which again is not representative of everyone else. It's like 70 something percent are on the side of women competing with women and not allowing biological males to compete with women. You're not in the minority if you believe that, but people make you feel like you are. So when you speak up about it, particularly as a group, you're taking that female solidarity that you've built on a team and you're using it to protect other women. And that is something that, I don't know, the left used to celebrate, I thought, at some point, but now they don't. <laughs> now yes. it's bad to do that. But I do think we are seeing a bit of a shift here. And I'm really proud of those who speak out because it is not easy. And they have been up until this point told and sort of bullied into saying, uh, not only are these guys going to beat you on teams and, and eliminate you from scholarships and championships, but you have to cheer for them while they do it. And that is a really humiliating thing to do to women. And these women are banding together to say, no more, we're not going to be endangered and we're not going to be made to, to celebrate uh, this unfairness on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, moving on to the next topic. And I know that you were just on Media Buzz speaking about this in depth yesterday. Uh, Anti-Semitism still running rampant on college campuses. Uh, we've seen so many students and professors being doxxed as it pertains to them tearing down kidnapping posters or promoting rallies or putting their names on documents that say they support Palestine or Hamas. Uh, is there no fear? Because it keeps happening. Uh, at what point are we able to quell this movement? And even, you know, furthermore, we've seen it go off of college campuses now. There was a massive rally protest. Uh, we'll call it an insurrection in Washington, D.C. over the weekend. Uh, but I have to imagine they're not going to be the ones who are hunted down, uh, thrown into jail, slapped with 20 years worth of prison time. Can, can you explain to me what's happening here or what's it going to take for more actions or more measures to happen in order to really shut down this horrible movement that we're experiencing? Yeah, it does seem like there's a different standard for those scaling the fence at the White House versus those on January 6th. And I would argue that on college campuses or at the White House, what you should do to protect other people's safety and other people's free speech, which is actually your job as a college administrator or a DOJ employee, is that you should punish those who are blocking other people's speech, who are engaging in things that are not free expression, violence, vandalism, destroying government property, and if you start with that, what it does is send the message to everyone else that perhaps those things are not free expression and perhaps they will not be protected. And it sends the message mm -hmm. to Jewish students that they might be protected from their fellow students who are in many cases assaulting them on campus. But college campuses have become, in particular college campuses, have become so rife with stupidity and moral relativism that administrators, I don't think, know the difference between free expression and vandalism and violence. As long as it's on the side they agree with, they think it's fine. And that is a problem. Like The easiest thing to do is to punish those who are engaged in things that are not free expression. Go ahead and do it. Then you have some bounds for your discussions, right? Like I'm, I think that even disgusting opinions should be aired out in public. One, because I can see who's doing it and I know what they believe. Uh, two, because that is the first amendment. But you have to also protect other people from the actions that are not free expression. Yeah, exactly. And it's really sad because I think last week I was listening to someone rattle off a stat about how many students are actually dropping out of these liberal universities and deciding just to 
you know, maybe maybe take a, a moment to pause and then maybe resume somewhere else at a later date or enrolling in their local Jewish universities uh, because they just feel so unsafe on campus. And that is just horrifying to even think about that they're in a position where they don't feel like they can safely walk to class. Yes, it is horrifying. And also, I think, look, if people start to make different decisions with their checkbooks and walk away from these elite universities and say, hey, I know you thought they, and they are status, but if you act like this, you don't confer status anymore. I think that actually could change things. There's a bunch of people here in the DC area who are like driven, affluent, sort of like high achieving high school students who are all telling me they're applying to the SEC because all these liberal, all these liberal Northeastern schools eliminated the college experience during COVID. And now they're seeing this on campus and their parents are like, wait, maybe not. And they should think, wait, maybe not. And maybe those schools will actually react to that. You know, that actually will be very interesting to see how the makeup of universities that don't typically get those from the Northeast or otherwise, uh, suddenly they're seeing a shift in their landscapes as a result of all of the madness that has taken place over the last few years. That actually is something maybe we should stay on top of and keep track of uh, just for, you know, comparison's sake. Okay, let's stick with your backyard of Virginia because you actually have a piece that just was released on Outkick.com as of 8 a.m. this morning. So everyone, it is live if you want to go to Outkick.com after the show, of course, and check it out. Uh, it's about how Virginia, Mary Catherine, could be the roadmap for GOP success in 2024 because tomorrow, Tuesday, it's a midterm test of Governor Glenn Youngkin's appeal and record on the purple state and how his policies are more so appealing to the Latino vote versus those of Democrats, something we're not ordinarily used to seeing, and how it could translate to a Republican Senate victory for state Senate candidate Juan Pablo Seguro. So going off from there, using that as a springboard, tell me about your story and what this could mean not only for the GOP in Virginia, but also nationally. Yeah, so this is a competitive district, the Loudoun County area, where I know many of you have heard about the education fights that happened there, right? Um, and there is a uh, a businessman, Juan Pablo Seguro, running in this in this district against a liberal prosecutor, former prosecutor in the area. Um, so it's a very stark comparison, right? And the great thing about this candidate is that he is he does speak fluent Spanish. He goes into all these Latino businesses when I'm walking around with him and chats folks up. And like, look, what Youngkin has done is a be very popular in this state. He has like a sixty percent uh, approval rating with independents. So that oh really wow, these yeah, number two. Uh, he has given them a position on abortion. He, instead of leaving everyone hanging, he said 15 weeks is where I think limitations should be with lots of exceptions for life of the mother, for rape, for incest, right? That is a simple message. He calls it a compassionate uh, consensus that a lot of people agree with, including most of women, right? And so they've got this message that they can send and they didn't get bogged down in just defending against the nonsense that liberals are saying about this, like a full abortion ban. So there's a, and then they've also done early voting led by Yunkin, giving Republicans license to say like, no, this is actually a good thing. We need to get our points on the board before election day. And they feel very like they've had some success with that. This is a purple state. It's competitive. But I think with it's interesting with competent leadership, with this early vote push and a little bit of an answer on the abortion issue, you may see some real success. So the, the Virginia Senate and House hang in the balance here, and we'll see what happens tonight mm -hmm. or tomorrow. And how just overall, how important is the Latino vote going to be in 2024? 
I mean, this is a huge question, right? I think that you see a lot of shift. During the Trump years, everyone said, like, he's chasing off all these voters. But in fact, there were positive shifts toward him among Black and Hispanic voters. I think there is a new coalition potential in working class, multiracial groups voting for the GOP because they do not feel they're being served by the Democratic Party, who has turned to serving white-collar, college-educated, very elite groups. That is where their core is. And people are noticing. And it's, this is what we may see on the ground in this Loudoun County district is a bunch of working-class voters going, this is hurting me. I don't think I can back the left right now. Many of them expressed to me, like, I'm a church-going person, the Latino voters I spoke to. And I don't see that the Democratic Party backs the values that I back at all anymore. Uh, and so I think mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting to see whether that plays out in Virginia. It would be a bellwether for the future. Absolutely. Mary Catherine, thank you so much. And don't forget, you can go check out her article. Just went live on Outkick.com all about this issue. So uh, should be very interesting. Mary Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, to leave all of you this morning, I have a video to prove just how bizarre mental illness has become in this country. Check this video out. People want to say that I don't experience PMS symptoms, but I've been cramping incredibly bad all day, and at some point, my pain tolerance went away, and it started hurting incredibly bad for the last two hours, so much so that it made me go and throw up three times. So yeah, uh, PMS symptoms are ruining my Disney trip. Um, ruining my Disney trip. Well, you're ruining my existence, okay? And your pain tolerance, I feel you because my tolerance for you and people like you uh, has completely gone out the window. First of all, let me just say, I mean, this is clearly a trans woman. Uh, you cannot have period cramps without a uterus. It just is not physically or scientifically possible. You cannot have PMS symptoms unless you are a woman and have your period. So you're not experiencing anything like that. What you're probably experiencing is maybe gas or maybe constipation. And I'm probably gonna blame one of those two things on the fact that knowing how mentally ill you are and un how unhealthy you are, you're probably a vegan, all right? And vegan diets, as you know, cause tons of inflammation, they back you up. You have tons of digestive issues because you're eating just toxic garbage all the time. So I'm assuming you're a vegan and that's why you have gas and or are constipated. It has nothing to do with having period cramps. You do not have PMS symptoms. And it is so silly that there are biological men who are making these claims because it's just pure outright stupidity. I hope everyone watches this video and it takes them one step further in the, in the fight to combat all of this because truly it is an insult to women who each and every one of us have to deal with all of the terrible things that come with actually having a period each and every month. Uh, okay, everybody. <laughs> it, it just gets crazier and crazier every day, doesn't it? It's, it's wild. It is wild the world that we live in that someone would feel comfortable putting this up on their social media. And the craziest part about it is that people actually advocate and support people that post stuff like this. If everyone would just shut this down and stop giving these lunatics attention, 
the madness would probably come to a much quicker end, but we know that's not going to happen because unfortunately, day by day, our country gets even more mentally ill. Uh, but, but we're not that way. I know if you're watching this show, you are not that way. I surely am not that way. Uh, so now I'm going to say goodbye to each and every one of you. But before I do, I'm going to ask that you press that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the shows. You know, us non-mentally ill people, we must stick together. Also, please make sure you're signing up for alerts. Hit the like, leave a comment, find me, non-mentally ill Charlie Arnold on social media at Charlie on TV. And everybody have a fantastic Monday. We're going to get through this together. I'll see you tomorrow morning.